So as we transition to our teaching time, I'm going to invite Kristen up to read our passage, which is going to be from Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we are in our fourth week of our sermon series, Things That Are Hard to Do. So thanks, Kristen. This is the word of the Lord. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, with the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and, if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts of God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Thank you, Kristen. Good morning, church family. How are we doing? It's good. It's good to see you. If you're new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're really glad to have you. This is week four of a sermon series, a short sermon series that we call uh, Things That Are Hard To Do. Our, our main thing we really like to do as a church is to go through books of the Bible. We spent last year going through the first half of the Gospel of John. Next week, we're going to dive back in to the Gospel of John. Through the end, we'll be in that uh, for the most part, a few little breaks here and there, but for the most part, up through Easter and a few weeks beyond. And so excited to jump in. But today, uh, we're going to tackle our fourth and final topic of things that are hard to do. Week one, things that are hard to do. Confront in love and receive con confrontation in love. Week two, things that are hard to do. Share the gospel. My dad was here visiting from overseas in Alaska uh, to preach. And Week three last week, things that are hard to do. Talk about politics in the church. And today, topic number four, things that are hard to do, heal from church hurt. And when we were, as elders, thinking, talking, praying about doing this sermon series, I put up a little thing on social media, and I just kind of said, hey, you know, here's the series, here's a couple ones that we, I, we as the elders want to talk about, but what other things do you guys find that are, that are hard to do? And, and beyond a shadow of a doubt, this was the most requested subject. Text messages, Facebook messages, emails, even like weeks after the fact, hey, I don't know if it's too late, but man, it'd really be helpful to talk about healing from church hurts. And I'll just say from the outset, uh, it's a real bummer to teach this message because the people that I wish could hear this message are not here. You're here. And so either one of two things is the case. Number one, maybe you just have not, by God's grace, experienced much hurt or wounding in the church for which you should thank God and be very grateful. Number two, maybe you have experienced hurt and wounding in the church, but you're here. Because you know that God wants to use his people to help you heal from the wounds that you experience from his people. And we'll get into that more in a, in a little bit, but you're here. There are people who are not here. And so my hope today is, I want to I preach to those people who have been hurt, but I also want for all of you who are here, you're here in this room, I want to, by God's grace, do my very best to equip you to go and have conversations with people that you know in your life, people that you love, people that you care about who maybe have walked away from the church. So before we dive into this passage, I just would invite you to pray with me, pray for me. And let's pray together that God would use this time for his glory and our good. Jesus, we come before you now, thankful to be saved, thankful to be adopted into the family of God. 
And God, we are, are, are aware that the family of God, uh, we sometimes hurt one another. And so God, I pray for those who are here who still struggle with the effects of, of, of woundings in the church. God, I pray for a deeper place of healing. God, I pray for those who have friends who are not here. God, would you help each of us to be equipped to go be ambassadors of your healing and reconciling love and grace. God, for myself, as I, as I often and always pray, God, would you guard my lips? I want to speak truthfully and I want to speak helpfully and I want to help build up this church body in love. And so would you help me to do that? And God, would you give each and every single one of us soft hearts, tender hearts to receive grace directly from you. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. A uh, quick show of hands. How many of you are, are maybe similar to me in where you grew up, for the most part, going to church, being a part of a church? Anybody? Okay. It's a lot of you. We'll have a support group afterwards in the lobby. Uh, we can talk about our church issues. No, I, my parents became Christians when I was about three years old. And so I was, for all intents and purposes, raised in the church. And I'm not naive, but I am optimistic, okay? Uh, one of my earliest church memories, actually when my dad became a pastor, was because the church that we were a part of had a very ugly split. People left, people, the pastor left, uh, and, and, and it was a really nasty. And I was eight years old. I can remember that. And that's actually how my dad became a pastor is because when the dust settled, they looked around the room like, duck, 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 pastor, Brian, you're it. And I'm like, okay. I wish I was joking, but I'm kind of not. Uh, so I was raised in the church. He became the pastor at eight years old. We did set up teardown church. I was hauling speakers and carrying instruments at, at eight years old, nine years old. There's still time to sign up for the set up or teardown team if you'd like to. Find uh, me or Michael Elmer in the lobby afterwards. But I've been doing the set up teardown church thing for a while. I just remember that like it's, 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 it's kind of just life. It was normal being a part of the church. And, and for the most part, I look back on those early years and say, man, God was good. And church was good. And no, there was a bunch of messed up people and there was all sorts of stuff. But overall, I just loved being a part of the church. I can remember very specifically though, having kind of an awakening in high school where uh, it, it actually happened through uh, kind of quote unquote Christian music that I was listening to. Being a church kid, especially, you know, back in the, the 80s and 90s, it was predominantly Christian music that we listened to. But I remember hearing a couple of songs where I'm like, wait a minute, what are they talking about? And I started listening. I can actually remember the specific band and the specific song where one guy started saying these words. He said, I had to run. I had to hide in the world outside a better chance out there if God is everywhere. And I remember like, what? Like, man, he's talking about the church. He's talking about running away from the church and trying to go do business with God away from the church because he's got a better chance than in the church. That was kind of my first awareness of this idea that there are people who love God. They want the things of God. Maybe they, they like the scriptures. They like what Jesus had to say, but they've just been burned by the church and they want nothing to do with it. And it started, at least for me, noticing this pattern where People have all sorts of bad experiences in life. People might buy a, you might buy a bad car and the guy who sold you the bad car was a complete charlatan and the car was a lemon and everything goes wrong. But you know what? People still go buy another car. Or that people take a class and they have a really bad teacher, just a jerk of a teacher, and they do poorly in the class, they flunk it or whatever, but people still take other classes. Even in marriages, people have marriages that go south and they end up, you know, it's very, it's very you know, contentious and a lot of fighting and they get divorced, but people still get married. It seems to me that one of the most common, if not the most common places where people have a bad experience and then they say, I'm walking away forever is the church. They don't come back. They don't try again. The thing is though, church hurts are people hurts. We can kind of broad brush it. You know, it's like, it's like you can, all sorts of different language in, in different places where you, you use this kind of generalized language. But really what we're talking about, being hurt by the church means someone who claimed to be a follower of Jesus in some capacity did damage to your heart. And very often when people say things, oh, I just done with the church. I've been hurt by the church. Hurt too many times. I often ask them, what was their name? Tell me their name. What happened? Tell me the story. Here's, 
in this passage in Colossians, some of the things that, that the Apostle Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and a few of these things, I, mean, I don't have to belabor them, but I just want to make sure we understand them because it's the foundation for where we're going to go with our time here. The first thing is just simply this. Salvation is into a family. Salvation is into a family. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. If you look down below in verse 15, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. In fact, this whole passage we're looking at, it's you all, you all, you all do this and one another. The whole premise of this passage is that the gift of salvation from God is kind of a community thing. Yes, you are loved individually by God. Yes, you are forgiven of your individual specific sins that you committed. Yes, he knows how many hairs are on your head. Yes, he knows how many days that you will live. But to be saved by Jesus is not just to be forgiven. It's not just to be justified. It's not just to be sanctified. It's also to be adopted into a family with brothers and sisters who are, well, Verse five, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. That language of put to death, it's, it's an ongoing sort of a tense. You gotta, you gotta keep putting it to death. That which is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion. And by the way, passion there doesn't mean like excitement or passion. It means like unrestrained passion or a lack of self-control. Evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Listen to what he says. In these, like you used to walk that way. That used to be your life. That was what defined you when you were living in them. But now, here we go. And number two, you must put them away. Like we're still dealing with it. More things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. You got to put them out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you, here's number three, that you have put off the old self. Some translations call it the old man. You got to put off the old man with its practices and having put on the new self, which is, here's our key words. Look at this. Being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So over and over again, the apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the spirit says, you got you to put these things away. You got to put these things to death. You got to take off these sinful actions like clothing and you got to put on the righteousness of Christ and you are being renewed. One of our values as a church is we value progress, not perfection. I actually had a man attempt to join the church for a while. He said, I love the church. I think everything is wonderful about your church. I just hate that one value that says progress, not perfection. I think that's of the devil. He literally said that. I was like, whoa, tell me how you really feel. He says, I am perfect in Christ Jesus. And I said, well, positionally, yes. When, when God looks at you, he looks at you and he treats you as though you were as righteous as Jesus himself. You have the righteousness of Christ. But are you trying to tell me that like you don't still struggle with sin? He goes, yes, that's exactly what I'm trying to tell you. I'm like, well, at least he's honest. Like lying isn't one of the sins he's guilty of. Pride for sure. <laughs> Delusion, but, but he's honest. Look around this room. Each and every single one of us, myself included, any pastor, any worship leader, any staff member, any uh, old gray-haired saint who's been walking with the Lord for decades and decades, we are all being renewed in the image of our creator. Amen? And when we, when we look at ourselves, uh, be honest. How many of you say, man, I am not where I wish I could be? Anybody? But how many of you would say, praise God, I'm not where I used to be? Amen? Yeah, there's a lot of people's wives just said, yeah, amen, right? <laughs> there are no perfect family members. We're saved into this family and we're all being transformed from one degree of glory to another. We're all works in progress, which means, unfortunately, that hurt will happen. Look in verse 12. Put on then. Here's what also you're going to put on as God's chosen ones. There you are again. God's chosen ones, plural. You're in the family. You're holy and you're beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, 
Meekness. Meekness is one of those words we don't use too often. Sometimes people think it means being a wuss. It, it doesn't mean that. The best definition I've heard of meekness is strength under control. Jesus was meek. And patience, and here it is, verse 13. <laughs> Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Bearing with one another. I looked up various translations, the way that that word in the Greek is used, it means to put up with, to endure. Like there is a reality to say like, you know what? As long as I'm in this family, I'm going to have to put up with some level of nonsense from my brothers and sisters. Parents, your kids just started school this last week. How many of you are like, Oh, praise the Lord, right? Because like all that time spent together over the summer, things were starting to get kind of real in the house. And uh, if they didn't go somewhere else to fight, there was going to be some wrath of mom that was coming, right? How many of you who are teachers are like, great, all the kids just showed up. (laughs) I just read a story about the Mariners getting into a fist fight in their locker room, their clubhouse this last week. And the explanation that the manager gave, besides, you know, they're just the Mariners. uh, That was the sermon I would do, healing from Mariners hurts. But um, like they got into a fist fight and the manager said, well, you know, these guys, they spend every single day together for six months. And eventually, yeah, tempers are going to flare and surprise, they haven't been playing that great. And so, you know, This is kind of a little bit what it's like to be in the family of God. And I'm not, this is not pessimism, okay? This is not some sort of fatalistic, well, of course, everyone's going to hurt me and blah, blah, blah. No, it's, it's just having realistic expectations. To join the church is to join a messy, broken family filled with people who are all works in progress, amen? And really the only other option you have besides pressing into relationship with other people is retreat and isolation. And the enemy, we have an enemy and he would love nothing more for you to move into retreat and isolation. To move towards people is to get my heart hurt, so therefore I must need to run away. Well, that actually does more damage to your heart in the long run. I've, I've used this quote before, but C.S. Lewis, in his book on love, he says this so profoundly. He says, there is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Kind of sounds like the suburbs. Avoid all entanglements, lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness, but in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love, is hell. Running away from the church, and by that I mean capital C church, just isn't an option. I'll talk more about this later. That that does not mean that maybe you need to leave and, and be with a different group of believers or fellowship, worship somewhere else. I'll talk more about that later, but just as a fundamental biblical conviction, you cannot say, I love Jesus and I hate the bride that he died for. You cannot say that. I'm not advocating a one size fits all. And yes, the church in the West, in America, for most of our experience, there are many issues and many problems. But as a fundamental conviction, we as Christians must know I have been saved, I have been forgiven, I have been justified, and I have been adopted into the family of God. And if the only other option is isolation and and letting my heart become rigid and impenetrable, then I've got to find ways to move toward the people of God. Now, I want to get practical for a few minutes here. You know, when, when... 
when trauma happens, you think of like somebody who gets in a car crash, and I know there are medical professionals in the room, so go easy on me. I'm about to speak out of my depth for a moment here, okay? But when you are involved in something traumatic, they take you into the hospital, and, and the first place they take you is triage. They start to ask some questions, trying to figure out, trying to make sense of what just happened. What happened? Where does it hurt? What's going on? Help me understand it. Uh, we, when we go through something spiritually traumatic and something emotionally traumatic, sometimes we need to do the same kind of triage. One of the things that I see happen all the time is people paint with very broad brushes. I've been hurt by the church. Well, what does that mean? Because if we're going to be able to speak with wisdom and insight and truth into the issue, we need to get a little bit more information, a little bit more detail. So here's a couple of ways to think about it. The first one is look through the different dynamics that are in play. So for example, there's personal hurt, right? This is an individual sins against another individual. Maybe this is within your community group. Somebody did something hurtful to you. They popped off. They spouted off. They spoke hurtfully. Maybe this was somebody that you thought would be there for you in a time of trial. They just, they weren't there for you, whatever. This is individual to individual, probably the most common type of hurt that happens in the church. Number two, uh, what I'm calling corporate church hurt. This has to do with where the leadership or a leader or leadership team makes a decision that has negative effects on a group of people, or maybe the church at large. So this isn't like direct interpersonal. This isn't, you know, one of the pastors screamed at me. This is, they did some really bad decision-making with their finances, and they had to lay off people, and they changed the ministries, and they made some decisions. This is where pastors go into theological error and heresy and start teaching falsehood, and it creates corporate church hurt. I could name to you a handful of churches where I've seen that happen. There is secondhand hurt. Do you guys know what secondhand hurt means? It's like secondhand smoke. Somebody else is smoking and and you start coughing. Secondhand hurt means somebody that you love and care about gets hurt. So maybe you weren't hurt directly, but someone that is really important to you was. Now, there is a bad place of taking on offense, a secondhand offense on somebody else, But there's actually a really good and healthy place of empathy and compassion when somebody that you know, love, and care about is hurt by somebody else, right? You're like, oh, well, they were hurt. I can't get offended by it. I was like, no, you should care about them. There's a balance there for sure, but secondhand hurt is real hurt. It wasn't directly at you, but it was at somebody that you love. There is such a thing as perceived, or dare I even say, false hurt. Oh, they said something, they did something. Like, no, you're kind of making that up. Or maybe you just misunderstood. You've, you've copped some attitude, you've taken on something, and, and it's not really legitimate hurt, but it feels like it, doesn't it? In the moment, it feels like real hurt, even though it's false. I'll tell you a quick story. This just happened yesterday. Not my finest parenting moment, so I will share it with you. For the record, yesterday, we're hanging out at home. We, uh, you know, going to have a, just a kind of a nice, relaxing family day. My wife made uh, biscuits and gravy, which is one of the most glorious ways to worship Jesus on a Saturday morning. And we were hanging out. We're sitting there, and it was me and my wife. A couple of the other kids had friends over, and they'd all scattered. It was me and my wife and our fourth grade daughter. And I don't know why, but out of the blue, she just started quoting facts about animals. And uh, it's kind of the kid she is. Uh, she's delightful. And she goes, Dad, did you know that polar bear skin is not actually white. Their fur is white, but their skin is black. Now, in that moment, I thought to myself, oh, I'm going to be funny and respond in the way that the youth do. And I said to her, I said, shut up. You're kidding me. Now, what was wrong was... She thought in the long second and a half pause between the words shut and up that I was actually telling her to shut up. I know, I'm here in the future with you guys too, right? Like I know in the moment, I'm just trying to be funny. There was, a, there was a, about a billion and a half middle school girls at my house. I see you over there, okay? And, and I was just, you know, I was, I was influenced by them, Okay. 
I said it's not my finest parenting moment, but in that moment, I was trying to be funny. I said, shut up. You've got to be kidding me. And the poor, sweet, wonderful Reagan, who gave me permission to share this, instantly welled up with tears. I feel like I'm being judged right now, you guys. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Her eyes welled up with tears, and then I said, you're kidding me, and she got that it was a joke. But she was emotionally conflicted in that moment. The pain was really real. And she and my wife and I spent the next about 10 minutes straight laugh crying because I felt so bad over breaking her heart and yet so funny over the misunderstanding. And she was laughing like, oh, I get it. That was really funny. But boy, did that hurt in the moment. And it was this catastrophe. Sometimes things like that can happen in the church or other relationships, right? You hear something, you think something was said, they were talking about you. Man, you're, you're hurt, you're offended, but, but maybe you heard it wrong. There is such a thing as false hurt, okay? I've been hurt by the church. No, you just had an ax to grind and you didn't want to hear somebody speak the truth and love to you. That's not church hurt. And then last, and most seriously, there is such a thing as genuine abuse. This is tragic It is sickening. God's wrath is towards those who misuse power to harm others. And we are seeing right now in our culture a lot of uh, coverings being pulled back and genuine abuses. There's a lot going on right now in the news about the Catholic Church. There are many uh, in the American Evangelical Protestant Church right now wrestling through issues of abuse. Let me offer you just two thoughts on this. Number one, abuse is real. And we need to hear and to listen to the cries of those who are speaking out that they are being abused. And we need to not have dark corners hidden in the church. These things... I'll be honest with you, they terrify me every time I read about them. I also want to issue a balancing corrective that we need to be really careful with the word abuse. Just because someone has hurt you does not necessarily mean that it is abuse. Someone can be hurtful, someone can be rude to you, but abuse, it's really hard to define. I actually spent some time this week studying and looking through like legal documents and legal definitions because it's really easy to say and really hard to nail down the specificity. The best I can say is it has to do with power dynamics, someone using authority and strength and power to take advantage and to misuse another person. It is real And if those people do not repent of their abuse, they will face the judgment of God. But we need to be careful to not just call anything that's hurtful abuse. Can you hear that? There's a tension there. And I want to leave that as it is. Another way to look at this is the different relationships that are happening. Church hurt can happen uh, in different relational contexts. A member can hurt another member. Most common, it happens It's the easiest thing to happen because the members are in, uh, hopefully, in relationship with each other and community with each other. Sometimes a member will leave. Sometimes somebody can help them reconcile. A member sometimes hurts a leader. Did you know that happens? Shepherds with the sheep will surprise. Sheep have teeth also. And you know what? Enough of those things happen. A leader quits. They tuck tail. They run. They slink away. I have known a number of, of in particular men who have had this happen to them where they just taken one too many bites and they can't handle it anymore. Leader hurts another leader. Oftentimes this isn't the most visible to the congregation at large, but it becomes visible when a church split happens. Leaders hurting other leaders behind the scenes. And then lastly, when a leader hurts a member, that is perhaps the deepest, most painful wounding where people have the hardest time ever coming back to the church, trusting again, there's also different degrees. We need to, we need to recognize it kind of like, like a burn, right? First degree, second degree, third degree. You know, a first degree hurt is something, you know, it hurts. It really does hurt, but it's, it's not something that's like the deepest trauma or the, or the worst, the most complicated thing. We can work through it. A first degree, a first degree hurt. Let me, let me tell you this. Um, I burned myself yesterday on a candle. I was, I was on a roll yesterday, guys. It was a great Saturday. I burned myself on a candle. Um, didn't need to go to the hospital. I didn't have, you know, traumatic, you know, you know I'm not going to describe it grossly, but you know, like it was just a simple little burn. 
but it hurt. Like it actually really hurt and it took some attention. It's not very helpful to tell somebody, oh, well, your hurt's only a first degree. People have been hurt way worse, so get over it. We need to meet them in their place of where their hurt is. Now, maybe eventually we can say, hey, let's, let's compare. Think about the degree of this, okay? But in that moment, first degree, it really hurts. Second degree, maybe that's a bigger thing, a, a church split or leadership hurt or something like that. It takes more time. It takes more uh, effort to walk through the healing process. Third degree, man, this is so hard. This is trauma and abuse. This is uh, a pastor uh, uh, you know, committing adultery with someone secretly. This is, this is the, the kinds of things from which people have a hard time ever recovering. We need to do some triage and, and make sense of the issue. What are we actually talking about? If I, if I could sum all of that up in this, be careful not to paint with a broad brush. Very often, the enemy loves to work in broad, vague generalities. Even this list, as is given to us in Colossians chapter 3, shows us that the Holy Spirit, when he brings conviction, he does so with specificity and clarity and with hope for the future. When you've experienced hurt right out of the gate, you've got some fundamental choices to make. This is going to be hard. This will be hard for some of you to hear. This will be hard for some of you to share with others, but if you'll allow me, we need to look at our basic attitude toward what has happened. We're going to have an attitude of being a victim, a bitterness attitude, a despairing attitude, or one that is hopeful that redemption might be possible. Let Let me put it this way, okay? If you have been victimized. I am not saying that there is no such thing as a victim. Sometimes people are taken advantage of. They truly are victims. But a victim mentality believes the lie of the enemy that you have no power. And let me speak truth into that lie. If you have been taken advantage of, if you have been made into a victim, you are created in the image and the likeness of God. You have dignity, you have value, you have worth because he loves you and he cares for you. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit of God given to you, the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. I am sorry that that person tried to take away power from you, but in Christ, you have more power and dignity than you ever thought possible. So speak up. You're not just a victim. You are beloved son or daughter of the most high God. That's your deepest, truest identity. Bitterness, bitterness. The Bible describes bitterness like this root. And I know you have gardens or if you ever try to just, you know, take out weeds, sometimes the weeds, like you can, you pull the weed and the top just rips off and those roots do not come out. And it's this deep hook that gets into our soul that just, spoils and sours everything for ourselves and for those around us. The book of Hebrews says that root of bitterness, by it, many are defiled. So yeah, I'm not saying the hurt didn't happen. I'm not saying that what happened was okay or fine. But boy, if that bitterness gets a lodging in there, your life and the lives of those who love you are going to be significantly affected. Despair. Oh, this always happens. Nothing can be changed. Nothing can be better. Or friends, do we serve a savior who was crucified and rose again? Do we serve a savior that says, behold, I'm making all things new. You got to decide what's your fundamental attitude going to be. I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not saying there aren't legitimate things to talk about in those other categories, but fundamentally, Do you have hope that God might want to do something redemptive? Number two, you have to choose your primary focus, the wounder or the healer. Pain takes our attention. That's what it does. It gets our attention. If you were in a hospital room and you saw somebody who got in a car wreck and then the doctor came in and was trying to treat them and do medicine or trying to work on them. And you're sitting there watching them. Yeah, well, that person that ran the light, and well, if, they'd, if they had just done this or if they had just done that, if they hadn't ran the, the stoplight or if they had just been paying attention and had their hands on the steering wheel or this, that, like the doctor's here, he's trying to work on you. 
Are you going to focus on the healer or are you going to spend all your time focusing on the wounder? Again, I'm not saying that you don't need to process and talk and think about those things, but fundamentally, where's your focus? And then third, you got to choose your relationship to the past. Are you going to allow yourself to reflect and grieve and lament or are you going to get stuck? Trauma can do that to us. We get stuck. I, uh, if you weren't if you weren't here uh, a, a little while ago when we did the Summer in the Psalms series, did a teaching on Psalms of Lament and Psalms of Grieving. I would argue that we as Americans are not particularly good at lamenting and grieving. We sometimes do, my, my favorite analogy from the you know, Monty Python and the Holy Grail movie when the, the knight gets his arms cut off, right? Like, oh, it's just a flesh wound. It's like, no, you're pretty seriously hurt. We need to stop and, and talk about it and process it and, Or are you going to get stuck? There's a difference between reflecting and it's foolish to never look back, but there's a difference between reflecting and stewing. I have known people, and I wish I was exaggerating when I say this, I have known people who it's like they go through something traumatic in their life and then every single other bad thing in their life, they just instantly start talking about it. Like, get a flat tire on your way to work. Well, if my stupid ex-wife hadn't, it's like, wow. I didn't know that she came and slashed your tires on the way. Maybe she did, and that's a different problem. But, but like, for real, sometimes it's just so easy to get stuck on, if they hadn't, if they hadn't, like, hey, reflect, lament, grieve. But don't stew. And if those weren't challenging enough, this is the hardest one right here. Look what he says in verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also, say it with me, Sound City, must forgive. I was listening to a song the other day, singer, most definitely not a Christian, and he had a line in one of the songs that said, I'll forget, but I'll never forgive. Don't want to be friends with that person. The nature of the gospel itself is this. We've been forgiven much. Therefore, we must forgive. Now, forgiveness does not mean that what happened to you, that suddenly makes it okay. One of the most common issues that I see with forgiveness is, is people feel like if they forgive, then that somehow means that what happened was okay or, or you're just, it's, it's all right, it's, it's done. Actually, I'll, I'll offer this to you. Maybe it's helpful. In my household, in our, in our family, we don't allow the children, when somebody apologizes, we don't allow our children or even us as the parents to say, it's okay. Because if, if someone has hurt the other person, sinned against the other person, done something wrong, then that's actually not okay. We work to say, I forgive you. See, forgiveness isn't saying it's okay. And, and forgiveness also, by the way, if, if, if sin is particularly egregious or abusive, things like that, forgiveness doesn't even necessarily mean that relationship is going to be restored to the way it once was. That relationship might be too damaged or that person might be unsafe. But even an unsafe person can be forgiven because what you're saying is, I release you of the debt that you owe me and I trust that the sacrifice of Christ Jesus on the cross is enough for me to be okay. You and I have been forgiven of nothing less than cosmic treason and rebellion against the holy, righteous, perfect God of the universe. And God in Christ didn't show up and say, you know, guys, I've been thinking about all of your sin and like all the like murdering and raping each other and blowing up the planet and all the just the horrible things you've done. And Jesus showed up and said, you know what? I've been thinking about it. It's okay. He did not say that. In fact, the ugliness of the cross shows us just how not okay it is. But it shows us how big the grace of our God is. You and I have been forgiven much. 
We can forgive. I heard a a quote uh, in the office this week. It says, God has always forgiven you of more than he's asking you to forgive in somebody else. Uh, Some guy, Shanae. If you're new, that's one of our other pastors. I was just teasing him. He just put it very succinctly. I think that's absolutely true. You've been forgiven much. When you think, this is, this is not, this is not to minimize the hurt that you've experienced, but it is everything to elevate the goodness and the love and the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So how do we walk it out? How do we take some steps towards healing? A few things. Number one, honestly grieve. Don't avoid the pain. You got to honestly name it. For you, it might look, look different, you know? Maybe it's journaling. I don't really journal that much, but uh, about a week and a half ago, I had some situations I was frustrated about, I was hurt by, and I actually went and got away and spent some time journaling. I wrote like four pages. It was amazing. Really helpful. Praying, crying, singing. This passage mentions singing. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to be God. It's really hard to hold on to bitterness when you're worshiping the God of glory. At least it throws a wrench in the bitterness plans. So genuinely grieve. And if you don't know what that looks like, find someone who does, who can help you. Number two, you're going to have to continue to choose your ongoing focus. That pain is going to surface. You need to look at it, grieve, and then redirect your attention on your healer. That, that, that offender, the, the, the one who abused you, the one who hurt you, yeah, they do have some power, but it's nothing compared with the power of our healing. Wounded healer, resurrected Christ Jesus. Number three, this one's, this one's hard. You got to press in towards God's people. Oh, but Pastor Aaron, did, I thought you, maybe you misunderstood what sermon you were preaching. I was hurt by God's people. Yeah, I know. I know. But God's plan to heal you from wounds that were sustained in the church is the church. Now, again, I said it before, there, there may be a time where the relationship has broken down um, and it's not ideal, but to separate can be okay. Actually, uh, you see this in the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas, you guys remember these guys? Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas is known as like the encourager. He's one of the most lovable, wonderful guys. Everybody loves him, but Paul managed somehow to pick a fight with him. Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark along on this missionary trip. And Paul was like, no, John Mark bailed on us last time. I don't trust him. I don't want to bring him. And Barnabas was like, but give him a chance. He was like hugging him. And Paul's like, no. And they parted. And Paul went off with Silas and preached the gospel. And Barnabas and John Mark and others went and preached the gospel. It's not ideal, but sometimes it needs to happen. It can be okay to take a break. If there's abuse, absolutely separate but it does not mean to separate yourself from God's people, the capital C church. You need the people of God in your life. Maybe it's a small group that you join. Maybe it's a counselor you get with. There's a pastor that you can talk to from a different church or, or just even a friend in your life, but, but don't give up on the people of God. And then number four, you gotta take steps toward action and movement. I think about this, people that I've known who've been through a physical trauma and then they start physical therapy and the doctor, yeah, I gotta start physical therapy next week. It seems too soon to me. But the medical professionals know something about our bodies that if we don't start moving and taking steps pretty soon, shut down and you atrophy. I think there's something like that spiritually as well. So God, they were angry and they hurt me. I can't change them in their anger, but you know what? I struggle with anger too. So I'm gonna take some steps towards growing in that area. God, they... They overstepped my boundaries and took advantage of me. I need to grow in boundaries and how to say no in a healthy way to people. Whatever that might look like for you, it's, again, I, I can't be overly prescriptive, but, but do something. Do something. Talk to someone. Join a group. Start working on something in your heart so that you don't end up getting stuck. And I'll, I'll say this. Close with something bold here. No matter no matter what has happened in your life, I am confident that healing is possible in Christ Jesus. 
It may not be tomorrow. It almost certainly will not be easy or pain-free or even fun. But it is possible because we serve a Savior who experienced personal hurt by his friends. He experienced corporate hurt from the religious leaders of his day. He experienced secondhand hurt when his disciples and followers are persecuted. And yes, Jesus even experienced abuse. If you study the history of what crucifixion is, you try to tell me that that's not abuse. I don't know what else is. He experienced it all. He took it upon himself. When he rose from the dead, resurrected, glorified, perfected body, yet one thing, he still bears the scars on his hands and in his side and on his feet. He told the disciples, it's me. Look at the nail holes in my hands. Feel the place where the spear went into my side. Jesus took all of the woundings of the world upon himself. I don't remember where I heard it said, but I believe it to be true that in eternity, Jesus will be the only one who still bears scars. Healing is possible. Might not be easy, but it's possible. Psalm 30. Oh Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you've healed me. Oh Lord, you've brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. That's death. So sing praises to the Lord, O you saints, and give thanks to his holy name. His anger might be for a moment, but his favor, that's for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes with the morning. God, I ask and pray now as we turn our hearts to a time of response to you, that you would help us to take some of those first steps toward healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, as we begin our time of response, we'll, we'll welcome our younger students class in to join us here. But before the financial stewards start collecting the offering, let me just say this before you go, before you go. Tell me, has anyone ever been hurt in the church because of money? Yeah. And so we say this, but I just want to linger for a moment. Our heart and our hope as a church family is to invite you to give as an act of loving, responsive worship to the Savior who has given us everything. If I or, or any of our other leaders have ever made it feel like, oh, you have to give in some sort of pressure way, I am sorry for that. And we want to invite you into a time of, of worship and response. And so do this prayerfully, do it cheerfully, as the scripture says, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but do so as an act of worship to God. All right, you can, you can collect the offering. Thank you for pausing for that moment. While they're collecting the offering, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11 because we're about to go to the table and celebrate the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And so I'll read from 1 Corinthians 11 to remind us of what this is that we're doing. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And if you have the elements, you can, you can get them out and even hold them right now in, in preparation for this. He took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So friends, when you eat the bread today, I want you to remember that Jesus' body was broken. You might have experienced brokenness. Jesus experienced ultimate brokenness. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Aren't you glad that we serve a savior who has experienced hurt and pain and wounding so we can go to him. Actually, he knows what it feels like more than anyone else does. He uniquely knows. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. What do we do? Let a person examine himself. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Friends, we invite you here in a moment to hold, to sit, to pray, to reflect, to lament if you need. Maybe you are dealing with hurts that took place in the church and God wants to bring you to a deeper level of healing. Maybe you have someone in your life that you love and care about that you want to lift up in prayer during this time. That's fine as well. But let's bring our hearts before the Lord now.
as we pause and reflect on the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And in a moment, the musicians will invite us and we can stand and we can sing together. But I invite you first to a time of pausing and reflection. Will you pray with me? Father God, we bring our hearts to you right now. God, for those in this room who have experienced hurt, God, I thank you that they're here. God, I thank you that at whatever level there's a desire to want to move toward you and to move toward your people. God, I ask that you would help us to, all of us, to practice what this passage instructs us to put on compassion and patience and love and and that God's Sound City Bible Church would be known as a place where people who have been hurt can experience a measure of healing. God, we're not perfect, but would you help us to grow and to mature and to continue to grow in that, in that area? God, for those who are here with loved ones or friends who have walked away from the church, maybe even walked away from the faith as a result of hurts, God, our hearts grieve and our hearts are broken, and I ask that you would use us to be agents of your healing and reconciling love that we would be ambassadors of your kingdom, bringing your wise rule and healing into the world. So many areas of brokenness. God, I pray for those who aren't here right now. God, I pray for those who might listen to this sermon recording on the website someday or, or who a person who's here will, will kind of rearticulate some of these things. God, I pray that you would draw them in. Jesus, your heart as a shepherd is even that of You love us so much that you would even be willing to leave the 99 to go after that one who's wandering and who's astray. And so would you help us to be, to follow your lead in that. God, we bring our hearts before you now. We bring our hurts before you now. And we want to declare, you are good. Your love endures forever. Sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. May we experience that joy that comes on the other side of sorrow. Pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen.